When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for yet another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, of all the fun topics that we cover in botanical-style aquarium keeping, few hold my interest as much as substrates. I imagine the substrate as this magical place which fuels all sorts of processes within our aquariums and that nature tends to it in the most effective and judicious manner possible. Yeah, I'm a bit of a uh, substrate romantic, I suppose. Now, particularly in transitional habitats like flooded forests and stuff like that, the composition and characteristics of the substrate plays a huge role in the ecology of the aquatic habitat. The presence of a lot of soils, clays, and sediments in these substrates, as opposed to just sand, creates a habitat which provides a lot of opportunity for organisms to thrive. The substrates are not just the bottom of the ecosystem. They're diverse harbors of life and the, all sorts of life, like ranging from fungal and biofilm mats to algae to epiphytic plants. Uh, decomposing leaves, seed pods, and tree branches compose the substrate for a complex web of life, which helps the fishes that we're so fascinated by to flourish. And if you look at them objectively and carefully, they're not only interesting, they're objectively beautiful. Stuff like detritus, or malm, located in the sediments, is the major source of energy and or nutrients for many of these dynamic aquatic habitats. The bacteria which perform all the important chemical reactions, like converting ammonia to nitrite, nitrates to nitrogen, releasing bound-up nutrients, neutralizing hydrogen sulfide, etc., will obtain essential nutrients from the detritus. That is what autotrophic bacteria that metabolize ammonia and ammonium, or hydrogen sulfide, for energy do. These bacteria may also harvest those nutrients as well as metabolize, aerobically or anaerobically as the case may be, the organic compounds that are present in the detritus for energy, just like heterotrophs do. The processing of nutrients in the aquarium is a fascinating one, a real partnership between a wide variety of aquatic organisms. And yeah, there's a lot of amazing biological function occurring in these layers, especially in the substrates. And of course, fostering the dynamic in the aquarium is one of the things that we love the most. It's part of our vision for the modern botanical style aquarium. Now look, hobbyists have played with deep sand beds and mixes of all kinds of materials in aquariums for many years. And there's some knowledgeable proponents of natural aquarium management like uh, Diane Wallstead, who's discussed the merits of such features in far more detail and with a competency that I could only dream of about plants. But I think now with all this interest in substrates again, that seems to be coming from all corners. I'm very happy about that. It's time to experiment with this on a broader scale. Now, again, we're talking about utilizing a wider variety of materials than just sand uh, so that the dynamics, you know, they're quite different and they offer unique functions, processes, potential benefits, and of course, they look cool. Now, I've been thinking through further refinements of the old deep botanical bed sand substrate relationship that I've talked about a lot. I've been spending a lot of time over the years researching natural aquatic systems and sort of contemplating how we can, you know, translate some of this stuff into our closed system aquariums. 
Now, before we talk about the actual substrate materials, again, let's just talk about the processes that we'd like to foster in a substrate and the potential negatives that may be of concern to those of us who play with, you know, botanicals in our substrate configurations. Now, one of the uh, things that hobbyists ponder when we contemplate creating deep botanical heavy substrates consisting of leaves and sand and other botanical materials, this is buildup of hydrogen sulfide or CO2 and other undesirable compounds within the substrate. Well, it does make sense that if you have a large amount of decomposing material in an aquarium, leaves and stuff, that some of these compounds are going to accumulate in heavily, I don't know, active substrates. Now, the big boogeyman that we all seem to zero in on in our sum of all fair scenarios is hydrogen sulfide, which results from bacterial breakdown of organic matter in the total absence of oxygen. So let's think about that just for just a second. Total absence of oxygen. So in a botanical bed with materials placed on the substrate or loosely mixed in the top layers, I, I wonder, will it all pack down to the point where there's a complete lack of oxygen and we develop significant amounts of this you know, reviled compound in our tanks? I think that we're more likely to see some oxygen in this layer of materials, and I can't help but speculate, and yeah, it is just speculation, that actual denitrification, i.e. nitrate reduction, which lowers nitrates while producing free nitrogen, might actually be able to occur in a deep bed of botanicals and sediments. And it's certainly possible to have denitrification without dangerous hydrogen sulfide levels. It just is. As long as even very small amounts of oxygen and nitrates can penetrate into the substrate, this will simply not become an issue for most systems. And honestly, I have yet to see a botanical-style aquarium of mine where the material has become so compacted as to appear to have no circulation whatsoever within the botanical layer. I haven't. Now, sure, I'm not a scientist, and I base this on close visual inspection of numerous aquariums uh, and, you know, the basic chemical, uh, hobby-level chemical tests I run on my systems under a variety of circumstances. Now, as one who's made it a point to keep my botanical-style aquariums in operation for very extended time frames, I think this is significant. I think it's important. The so-called bad effects that we're talking about should manifest themselves over these longer, you know, time frames, and they just haven't. We need to look at substrates literally as an aquatic organism. And like aggregations of aquatic organisms, they may be diverse both morphologically and ecologically. They're a dynamic, functional part of the miniature ecosystems that we create in our aquariums. We've used the basic stuff for generation, you know, sand, gravel, whatever. It's time to open our minds to a few new ideas, to rethink substrates, to reconsider why we incorporate substrate and what we use in the process. What kind of materials can we employ to create more functional substrates, ones which don't just happen to look cool, but they also foster a lot of biological activity? What kinds of functions and benefits can we hope to recreate in the confines of an aquarium? These are all questions that we should be working on. Now, first off, I think that we should all consider things just beyond the sand or anything resembling you know, conventional aquarium substrates. Think about what goes on in the benthic or bottom regions of natural habitats that we love and what benefits or support the materials which aggregate there can provide for the organisms within the ecosystem. When you think about it in that context, it's interesting. If you understand that the substrate is the dynamic, extremely important part of the aquarium, it all makes sense. And when we construct our substrate with, you know, what we construct our substrate with actually, and how we manage it is of really profound importance to our fishes, isn't it? So things like fostering fungal growth as well as other microorganisms and small crustaceans should be a huge component of the why about why we do this. These organisms, as we've discussed to the point where you're sick of me talking about it, form a part of the food chain within our captive ecosystems and they offer huge benefits to the aquarium, not only as 
start, you know, potential supplemental nutrition for fishes, but as a means to process and export nutrients from within the botanical style aquarium. That's a huge plus that we don't talk about a lot. So yeah, in summary, the substrate plays a huge role in the function of a botanical style aquarium. We can create a facility with substrate materials, which provides not only unique aesthetics, it provides priceless benefits. So production of supplemental food and you know, nutrition for our foods and nutrient processing via this self-generating population of creatures that complement or indeed create the biodiversity of our tanks in the first place on a more or less continuous basis is amazing. This is true functional aesthetics, right? In marriage of you know look and function. Now, you can use the combination of finely crushed leaves, bits of botanicals, small twigs, all that stuff, and that could form the basis for a more biologically active or even productive substrate. As these materials break down, they're colonized by fungi and biofilms and impart tannins, lignin, and other sources of carbon into the water, which fuel a variety of microbial growth. As you might have gathered by now, we are a big advocate of using these materials as well as incorporating what we call a classification that we call, we kind of created the name, I guess, I don't know, sedimented substrates. I'm going to create the, the idea of what a sedimented substrate is. Nature did, but we sort of brought it to the aquarium world. So our nature-based products, I know I'm sounding like an infomercial here, but our nature-based Agapo Varzea and the upcoming Mangal, Floresta, and Cellarbor, those are ones you haven't seen yet, but they're pretty cool, are examples of substrates which have a lot of sediments and clays and botanical materials in their formulations. These substrates realistically replicate the composition, the function, and the look of soils which are found in many tropical aquatic habitats. In fact, most of our nature-based substrates have a significant percentage of clays and sediments in their formulation. And these materials have typically been something that aquarists have avoided because they'll cloud the water for a while and often impart a little bit of color. Like, why is that a problem, right? We also have botanical components in a few of our substrates because they're intended to be terrestrial substrates for a while, you know, before they're flooded or inundated. Or, of course, you can start with them, you know, aquatic right from the start. But the intention was to create those urban agapos and varzea setups. And when the stuff's first wetted, some of it's going to float. Some of it's going to cloud the water. And that means you're going to have to net it out, let your filter take it out. You're just not going to have that issue with a typical bag of aquarium sand, right? So you can mix these substrates with, you know, the normal commercially available stuff, you know, sands, gravels, etc. Or use them alone. You can gradually add water like we do in our little urban agapo and varzea setups, or you can simply fill your tank from day one. And if you do, just expect some cloudiness for several days as these materials settle out. Don't rinse these substrates or just put them to work right away. Now, although you can and should play with these substrates wet from the start, I'd be remiss again if I didn't remind you that the agapo and varzea substrates that we play with are getting pretty popular, which is kind of cool. They were initially intended to be terrestrial for some period of time to get the grasses and plants growing and then inundated so you don't get that immediate influx of cloudiness like you would when you do it from the get-go. And of course, again, I'll tell you once again, immediately inundating this stuff from the start yields cloudiness, just like in nature. But it passes after, you know, a few days, so don't sweat it. So yeah, you'll have to make a mental shift to appreciate a different look and a function. And midi hobbyists simply can't handle it. I get it. We've been up front with this stuff since these products were released to ward off those, I added nature base to my tank, it looks like a cloudy mess, this stuff is shit kind of emails that inevitably come from people that don't read up first before they purchase. And the warning and the mental shift indoctrinations have worked pretty well. No one's freaked out. Instead, we're hearing how incredibly natural these aquariums look and how the biological diversity and stability of these tanks are immediately apparent to all those who play with them. 
What goes on in an aquarium with botanicals or leaves in this instance as the total substrate or hardscape, as the case may be, is that they become the basis for biological activity in the tank. And this is really something I cannot stress enough about that fuel, so to speak. The interesting thing is that as these things break down, they continue to recruit bacteria, fungi, and other organisms on their surfaces. That's a real big thing. That's a big deal about our substrate. I was so into it, I almost lost my train of thought there for a second. There's so much more to talk about on this stuff. Mix it up. Play with sediments, crushed leaves, broken bits of botanicals, all sorts of natural stuff which would previously have been considered dirty and bad for long-term maintenance in almost anybody's book. Look at the advantages that can be realized instead of the potential risks involved in experimenting. Open your mind to accept the look and function and the aesthetic challenges of using non-traditional materials in your substrates. You'll love it. Stay creative. Stay excited. Stay bold. Stay studious. And always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Fellman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tin.